Hi folks, Jack Spirico here. Today you are listening to an episode of TSP Rewind. <laughs> Commercial free versions of past episodes. Podcasts blast from the past. I put these up when I can't do a show due to professional commitments or rare vacations. These podcasts will appear in standard iTunes, Stitcher, and other feeds, but will be titled TSP Rewind Episodes and numbered accordingly. And today, folks, we are rewinding back to September the 14th, 2011. Originally, episode 744, Building a Business to Create Economic Freedom. Uh, this is actually a pretty cool episode to rewind to today for a few reasons. Number one is, let's talk about why I'm doing a rewind today. Um, usually, I take a vacation a year, and I do rewinds during that, and then I'll have professional commitments. That's what you hear in the intro, professional commitments. Uh, so that means I have to go speak somewhere or something like that, and that's another reason that I will do a rewind. I don't take a lot of days off. I'm pretty committed to this business, to content creation, to all that stuff. And a lot of times, even when I do take a day off, you don't know it. Because what will happen is I'll take a Friday off. I'll work really late on Thursday. I'll do the call show, and I'll do the expert counsel show, and I'll do two shows in one day. Because the expert counsel show is not... It's not as easy as I thought it would be when I started doing it, but it's easier than any other show because most of the content is somebody else, especially if I keep my piece relatively small and if I have a lot of content from the expert counsel for that show. Um, but there are times when I'm going to take a day off and I do a rewind episode, and just like you know, radio DJs will play a best of or something like that, and that's what I'm doing today. Today, as you're listening to this, uh, I'm, I'm cruising around in a boat with a fishing guide friend of mine named Omar, who uh, runs Luck of the Irish, Luck O the Irish Fishing Guide Service uh, here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, along with a couple other guys that he refers business to. And if you ever want to take a trip, let me throw a plug in for Omar right here. I mean, it's he's a great guide, or I wouldn't be out there with him. I've got a buddy here named Thad and uh, another buddy here named Patrick, and Patrick is the Patrick, as in Patrick Roman of MT Knives, and we're out fishing today. And instead of working today, I'm sitting on a boat right now. And instead of doing all the work myself, I hired a guide to make sure my two friends catch fish and enjoy themselves today, and frankly, so I can spend time with them and enjoy being with them instead of working my butt off on a boat, because it is work. And the reason I have the flexibility to do that is because... I don't work for anybody else. I guess in some ways I work for all of you guys that listen, but in the end, I call the shots. So I didn't have to ask my boss, can I have today off? I didn't have to put in a, a vacation request. Um, I'll probably make the same money today that I would have made if I would have worked. You know, I can't do that every day, but I can take a day off here or there, and it really doesn't affect the bottom line at all. The flexibility of running something of your own is really amazing. Um, you know, Patrick's here, and he has his own business, and he wanted to take some time off, and he needed some time off, frankly, and he asked himself, and he told himself he could. And so there's a, a it's really a kind of a good subject to talk about when I'm out basically living the example of having that freedom and flexibility. But the other reason I decided to do this topic today is because of Patrick. So Patrick and, and, and I and Thad were talking last night, and we, the subject of businesses came up. And he said, you know, really, you advise people to start their own business, but most people probably shouldn't work for themselves. Uh, and this is a guy that's, you know, busted his hump for the last five years building a company, and he understands the work that it takes. And what he means in that is that most people are not going to do the work necessary. And if you're not going to do the work necessary, you're either losing money 
or wasting time. And, and that is true. I think a lot of people, they go into something they call a business, and it actually costs them money, and it definitely costs them time. And what we think is a business owner, where we stop trading time for money. And there's a point at which you kind of do, because you do generate a residual income. You set up a system. So it's not like you only earn when you're working. So on my weekends, I don't really work much at all. Occasionally, I'll like today's a Sunday, actually, for me, even though it's a Monday for you. And I'm logging in, and I'm doing this rewind intro. I'll give you a little extra content today instead of just a rewind, because uh, I feel like you guys are entitled to it, because I just had a vacation. Uh, but... On Saturdays and Sundays, generally, I don't do anything, and recurrent billing for memberships happens, and money comes in. When I take off the week between Christmas and New Year's, money comes in. And so you don't trade time for money in a one-to-one -one ratio the way that an employee does. However, unless you have a completely passive business and somebody you're just an owner and you're sitting back doing nothing – You are putting time and effort in, and you are trading time for money. You're just doing it with more leverage than an employee. Well, in the beginning, you don't have any leverage at all. So unless you're willing to truly commit, you probably shouldn't start a business with a caveat. I think that everybody that actually seriously makes a go of it benefits in some immeasurable ways. What you learn about business as a whole, um, if you go back to working for someone, you'll have a whole new respect for the person you work for that's actually signing your paycheck because you'll have an understanding of what it really takes to make that business successful day in, day out, and successful enough to run a payroll. And every week when you run that payroll for the money to be there to meet that payroll, it, it will change your perspective on that. But I, I do want to be clear, especially when I, some of these older shows, because I get pretty motivational. You know, I go a little Zig Ziglar, I guess, on, on some of this stuff um, with the, the – the, and here's why. To me, the ease of starting a business today that can become successful is, is there uh, in a way that it's is never been in the past. When the Internet actually became approachable to everybody, the ability of a person to just say, I'm going to start a business and actually do it, You know, it, 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 it went up a thousand percent the day that that became available. And, and tools like social media, like WordPress, etc., have made that even more the case. You know, my first business was started by buying about a thousand dollars worth of software to start building websites and doing graphics with. And that wasn't to do graphics work for other people to build websites, it was to build my own sites. And today, you don't have, I mean, that's, that's hosting for two years or three years, depending on what kind of hosting you buy. And you don't need any software. And you don't need any specialized training. And a little bit of graphics you need done, you just get somebody to do that for you, and somebody will do it for 50 bucks. And you can physically be in business, but success is a totally different situation. And I want people to be excited, but I also want to temper that excitement with some realism. And here's what I, I've got to say. If you're not willing to work <clears throat> twice as hard in your business as you work on the best days in your job, it's probably not worth doing. And, and I, there's a reason I say on your best days, because most people don't work hard all the time. And depending on what job you have, you know, sometimes people have jobs that really just not going to work that hard. 
But somebody needs to be there. Somebody needs to warm a seat. Somebody needs to fill a place. And some people have jobs where you, you physically must work hard all the time because you're in some kind of a, a, a driven environment. But there's a lot of people that have jobs that, you know, they do their job and they, they earn their pay. Um, but if they work in an office or something like that, and really, if they're there 40 hours a week, they're working 20. And, but think about when you're on a project, or when you're into something you're really excited about, or you're all, your boss is in your ass, and you're, you're putting in those full, hard days. And you do that for a couple weeks, and what that's like. If you're not willing to double that, you're not going to be successful. You're not. And I know people in businesses that people look at, and they even compared to what I do, they're like, "Oh my God, that's not that's not hard." You know, my my, uh, my nephew and his wife, she's an Instagram model, and basically they take pretty pictures of her, and they make a damn good living. Let me tell you something. People look at that and say, "Oh, she's cute, so they make money." No, they bust their ass. They monitor their business. If they're hanging out with us and one of them gets the alert on their phone that they just got a new member, they bump fists. They celebrate every new customer. They run spreadsheets. They think about marketing. They think about marketing angles. They become masters of working the Instagram system. They were explaining stuff to me that I don't even know about Instagram because I'm not going to know because my business is not photographic intensive. I have other channels, but I was really impressed with how hard they worked. And in the end, they listened to what I told them, And their business looks a thousand percent different than mine. It is the same business model. It is the exact same business model using different mechanisms and a different reason for people to be involved. But they work their ass off. Every person I know with a successful business works harder in their business than they ever worked for anyone else. And you work hard for nothing in the beginning. You work hard for nothing. And that's difficult. And there's a danger in that, too, that you have to be aware of. Unless what you're doing has the potential for success, no matter how hard you work, it will not become successful. I see people come up with a product idea, and they're married to that product idea. And that product idea is just not marketable. It's just not going to be a thing. Or you look at the product, go, it's, a, it's a good product, but you'll never, unless you have it made in Hong Kong or something, you'll never be able to make enough profit on it to make that float or they come up with a great idea and it's a product well it's it's a it's a side business um, it's a hustle uh, it may be something you can do a drop ship with and throw it on Amazon and, and get some reviews and it'll make you some money it's not a business for a, a single product to be a business it has to be a consumable product it has to be something that when you get a customer they come back a membership, you can build a business on a single product. A consumable, like a literal consumable, like Nicole does with, with Holler Rose Coffee. person buys coffee, drinks coffee, coffee's gone, needs more, buys more. Okay, so that you can, you can build a bit. But even in those instances, you're better off branching out and having a broader breadth of product. So one of the big reasons I see people fail is they come out with a product, but they don't come out with a second product. And if you sell something a person buys one of or two of, and they don't buy anymore because now I'm good, I got that, then you, you, you lose the ability to build the number one asset in most businesses. And this is something else most people don't understand. The number one asset that businesses have is their customer base. 
That's your number one asset. When one business buys another, sometimes it's for a patent or a technology or something like that, but 90% of the time, what you're really buying is a customer base. That's what your actual acquisition truly is. That's where the value in the company is. I could have a company that's really good at making widgets, but if nobody buys that particular widget anymore, their capability is meaningless. But if I have a widget that only a certain specialized group of people buy, and I buy the company that's the number one producer for that industry, then I've got something. I've got that customer base. And it's very hard to build a loyal, repeat customer base unless you have something that you can sell to them many times or you have enough product that they keep coming back for other things that they want and other things that they need. And if you don't get that component into what you're doing, even if you work really hard and do the right things, you're not going to be successful because even though people love you, I already have that. So you have to come up with ways to sell additional things to people or to have people come back over and over. Consume and they want more. Consume and they want more. Again, whether it's a soft product like a membership, a soft product like software. If you have a software product that has an annual fee that does a job better than your competitors and that person becomes you know, to where they actually use that software product, it's kind of like printing money. Because if that software works for me and I rely on it on a daily or weekly basis, when that renewal comes up on it, I'm not even thinking about whether I'm paying the bill or not. Of course I'm going to pay the bill. So as you're thinking about working hard and what have you, you've got to have a plan. And let me say something that's going to deflate a few people. There's probably too many businesses out there right now where the business model is, I'm going to do all my homesteading and record it and make videos. Now, there's still plenty of room for people to go out and be successful in that. But unless you're going to do it in a different way or a more dedicated way, if you're not, unless you're going to have some kind of a hook, all you're doing is taking a course in video creation. And you're learning in the best school you could ever learn in the real world. But you're just going to be another YouTube channel that puts out a video a week for eight weeks and then a video every three weeks and then a video every three months and it just kind of atrophies into nothingness. And at that point, you still will have done more than anybody else. If you got the channel built up enough to at least get some AdSense on it, you might have a residual income of $50 a month, which is more than most people will ever have of a residual income in their life. And that's a, it's a noble thing. But it was never going to be a successful business if you didn't go into it with the plan and the motivation and the dedication to make it into a business. And it's okay to kind of dabble around and get your feet underneath you. But it probably, even if you do that, it probably won't be successful. And that doesn't mean don't do it. You'll probably figure out, I want to do something else. I, I, did, a, I did dozens of things before I settled on this one. And a lot of them made money. And a lot of them had a time Kind of like, I can make money in this for a time. And I knew that's what I was doing, so I approached it that way. And I would put autopilot systems in place that would make a revenue stream for a while. And that's okay. That's fine. But when you want something to actually build long-term into a legacy, you have to have that passion, that dedication, and you have to have a business model that's going to work. You have to have a story that's different than every other person out there. And you have to be good and over time, you have to get better. And you have to invest in yourself. 
And there's no guarantees, even if you do everything I just said, that you're going to be successful. But I guarantee you, if you don't try, you'll never be successful. So you've got to take the shots. You've got to take the licks. You've got to dedicate the time. You've got to want it more than you want anything else, especially in the formative years of a business, first couple, three years. You have to work so hard. And if you're going to do what I did, which is transition, and you're not going to walk away from that full-time job, then it's even more difficult. Then it's getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning or 3.30 in the morning like I used to do when I had a job. I would get up, I put everything together for the show, and then I recorded the show in the car on the way to the office. And people say, well, you just use the drive time to record a show. Yeah, but there's hours that go into the planning, the production, the research, etc. People think, well, it must be a lot of editing. The editing's easy. I can do the editing in about five minutes. It takes longer for the computer to spit out the file than it takes me to do the editing. It's the pre-show work. It's setting up the post. All that stuff had to be done when I had time to do it. And I had time to do it between about 4 and 5 o'clock in the morning. So that's what I did. Now, how bad do you have to want something that you're working a full-time job? And I'm talking, I was working 60, 70 hours serving as a C-level officer in a company with a lot of problems that I was there to fix. Because I wanted to leave six months before I did, and my partner asked me, will you take the COO position in this company for the last six months of this year, put it on track, I'll bonus you out, I'll buy you out of your other positions, go, go be fruitful, do what you want to do, but I need this fixed. And in the middle of doing that, basically repairing a company that had been poorly managed, I built this show into what it is today. Not because I'm that good, because I wanted it that bad. So as you listen to today's show, be motivated by it. But you got to ask yourself, how bad do you want it? And if you don't want it that bad, then take the lessons from shows like this and see yourself as you, Inc., and manage your, your, your financial life and your business life as an employee as though you're a contractor. And use that mindset to make you a better employee and a better manager of your own assets. That's fine, too. Anyway, here we go. Back to September the 14th, 2011, episode 744, Building a Business to Create Economic Freedom. So, I want to talk a little bit about kind of what spurred me to go back to this subject again. Uh, recently in the episode about unschooling, uh, we have some really dissenting commenters with the entire concept of unschooling. And I think most of those commenters haven't actually listened to the freaking episode, so they don't even know what they're objecting to. So they're objecting to purple uh, sky when I never said the sky was purple in the first place. But uh, what came out of that with a conversation with a listener I actually really like, Marauder, who I just think is off his rocker on this one, is that you know kids watching Dual Survivor or whatever are not learning any really relevant skills to their future, and that classical education is the only way, and yada, yada, yada. My big problem with that isn't so much about the education debate. It's about the business concept. So I'm going to let the entire thing about the education thing go. I'm done with it. I feel like I've said everything I've had to say, and I feel like the people objecting to it aren't objecting to what I've said. They're objecting to what they think about something they saw written somewhere versus what we're actually talking about. But what I'm not going to let go is the concept of breaking the rules. Uh, because breaking the rules is the way that you succeed today. 
And, and I, if you if you listen to me where you have time to write things down or something like that, write down right now, from now on I will break rules. Not I'll break all the rules, but you'll break rules. If you don't start breaking rules, and this applies not just to today's episode, but everything that I teach you about on a daily basis, if you're not willing to break rules, most of them won't work because rules in society tell you exactly how you're supposed to live. And if you live by those rules, you're going to end up like all the other people that we call what? Sheeple. Because they end up in debt prison, they end up in lifestyle prison, they end up in community prisons, right? They end up in cubicle prison, they end up in car prison, uh, they end up in all these self-imposed prisons where they might actually have more freedom if they went to a minimum security penitentiary and worked in a garden. I mean, honest to God, some people, their, their lives are so full of prisons that they've made for themselves a, a, you know, a minimum security white collar prison might actually be a, a better environment for them to, to exist in. And I know that sounds crazy, but I, I really think for some people it's true. And they, and you get there by following the rules. You always are going to have debt on a car. You're always going to have debt on a house and yada, yada, yada. Go to school, do this. Go to school and do that. Take this career. Get a job. Have safety and security and benefits and all of this crap. And then nine million people lose jobs and everybody just pretends it didn't happen. So we still send kids into the same educational system with the same directives that we were giving them 30 years ago. And then they come out and they hit the business world and they come to some tough son of a bitch like me that doesn't care about their degree. So if we follow rules in that society, only a small percentage can truly achieve a high income level. And only a, a, a moderate percentage can achieve a moderate income level. And the vast majority will achieve a piss poor lifestyle and income level. Or they'll have an income level that could be great, but a lifestyle that sucks anyway because the lifestyle eats the income. So, with that in mind, I want to start out kind of going through my, what I've prepared for you today. I just want to set the stage for that. First of all, though, we had a question yesterday, and a lot of times two or three things will pile up and make me do something. And one of the ones yesterday was the people that were thinking about buyer. Actually, it was uh, Monday, because I'm doing this show, again, out of sync. Um, and uh, you guys listened to an interview yesterday. So, the Monday show, there was a question from a couple in California that have, quote, good jobs that work for, in Hollywood. Was a set designer, and they basically want to save up about thirty, forty thousand dollars, buy an RV and haul ass cross country and live in eco villages and go learn new skills, and not say we're moving here, or there, or elsewhere. Just find a place as they go, and when they find the right place, they'll know it and start building a life there. And of course, all their friends tell them they're crazy not to do it. That now's a terrible time. So that was another thing that pushed me over the edge and said, I got to do this before I go to Colorado for you guys. Right now, I believe that there has been never, there has never been another time in history where you're better off building a business for yourself and that you have more opportunity to build a business for yourself. I don't care if tomorrow morning the Dow Jones goes down to 6,000 or 4,000. I still think it's a great time to build a business because this is America. And no matter where you are in the world, this is a modern world and we're not going to go away. We're going to have bad times and good times. We're going to get hurt. We're going to, and those of us that when we get knocked down and hurt that are not dead are going to dust our asses off and we're going to get back up. And we're today empowered with technology that allows a person like me sitting in Hot Springs Village, Arkansas, talking into a little $100 Samsung condenser microphone with a $500 PC and an internet connection to reach the entire world. In 1995, it absolutely positively was not possible to do this. And that's not that long ago, right? That's, that's not even a full 20 years. 
it's just it, it, it's phenomenal what's available today. And I'm going to tell you this as we go forward. I don't think that everybody should be an Internet entrepreneur uh, in the classical sense of what that means today. Um, kind of weird that there is even a classical sense of the term Internet entrepreneur today, considering that classical usually means old and the Internet's only about 15 or 16 years old in its current form. Yes, I know all about what happened in the 70s and, and what have you, but the real Internet, the Internet that we know today, the browser-based environment, the place where, where people go to eBay to, to get pricing before they even buy in a store just to check things, that Internet's only about 10 to 15 years old. And even where it's, you, know, you could say well, it's 18-ish or whatever, for the modern American, it's less than 10 years old. Most Americans didn't really jump in with both feet till about 10 years ago. About 2001, people went, oh, okay, this thing's been around a few years now and it seems okay and my buddy bought something and they didn't come and tear his house down or whatever they were afraid of and people started to adopt it only in the last 10 years. But now that it's adopted, it's everywhere. You know, when, when you realize how many people a day live their lives on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and Google and the, the, the amazing, um, the amazing freedom that Google and other search engines has created. Uh, we just had a person in the comments about the educational topic saying that, you know, she went out to her garden and something was munching down on one of her plants and she found it. It was a tomato hornworm. So she brought it in and showed it to her daughter. Her daughter takes off. It comes back in 15 minutes with an unrequested oral report. What it is, what its scientific name is, what pet, you know, what animals eat it, how to control it, where it comes from, what it's, what, what it, you know, what kind of moth creates it, and was really engrossed and just learned all of that information. And you couldn't have done that in 1995. Even if you had a set of encyclopedias in every home in America, you couldn't have done that. You couldn't have got the level of information, and you couldn't have learned it as quickly. So we have a case today where people are learning everything they really want to learn online. And they're investigating everything they're interested in online, and they're buying most of what they buy today online. And if they're not buying it online, they're using the web to determine where to buy it, when to go, how much to get, and what a fair price is. So even the person that's going to go down and buy their big screen TV at Best Buy might check out, you know, all the other electronic stores selling the same TV and see who's got the best price before they even go. Or they're walking into Best Buy and on an impulse where they will decide they want the big TV, they're pulling up an app on their iPhone or Android called Shop Savvy. They're scanning the, the barcode and Shop Savvy's telling them everywhere that TV's available within 50 miles and how much it is and what the store matching policy is. So if that's the level that the web has permeated us, I want you to understand that no matter what you're doing, if your business is going to be, I live near a really great national and state park area, and there's wonderful hiking trails everywhere. And because I've been hiking them since I was knee-high to a grasshopper, I know places and I know things that people don't see and trails they don't take, and I know places people walk right by, and if they turned right and went 15 feet through the trees, they would see an amazing view or a secret little spot at a creek. And I know the most beautiful places around here, and my business, is that I am going to give people guided hikes and I'm going to market myself as showing you what everybody else misses. I will change the way you view my home because it is my home and I'll share it with you. That's a very tactile, hand-to-hand, -hand, uh, what we normally call a brick-and-mortar versus click 
uh, click-to-order business, right? I mean, that's something that you really, you, you don't sell that online, but you do. Because you post pictures of it, but you don't tell people where they are. And you say, the last time you were here, did you see anything like this? Did you experience anything like this? And every time you find something new, you talk about it on your blog, and you tie the two worlds together. So while your product delivery is face-to-face, -face, your marketing and sales are web-based. And I don't care if you're a fishing guide. I don't care if you sell ALF pogs. I don't care if you, I don't care what you do. I don't care if you work on cars. I don't care if you sell used tires. I don't care if you customize motorcycles. I don't care what you do. Your web presence is imperative that it be done right and that it be done often today. And I think that's the big problem. Most companies put up a website. They put up a blog. Maybe the president or CEO blogs like once a month, and no one gives a shit. And unless they happen to look for you and find you because they're in the market for you, you never build community online, you never build a following, you never build a fan base. And that is a mistake. So the web has got to be key. I also want to talk about social media. Everybody's all over social media today. And, uh, you know, people like me were telling you you need to be there a long time ago. I remember telling major corporations back in 2006, you need a YouTube channel. Um, you, you need it, and as, we, as things progress, you need Facebook, uh, you, you need to get on Twitter. And these, these, these people would tell me to my face, big boardrooms of, you know, college graduates, uh, with their suits and ties. Oh, that's immature. Uh, uh, that's a, that's an odd market for children. And I, and, you know, as we went into 2007, I'm like, okay, guys, I want you to understand something. You're saying this is an immature market and it, it, it doesn't, it's not professional or whatever. But let me tell you what, every single presidential candidate has a YouTube channel, has a Facebook presence, has a Twitter presence. You know what they said? Oh, well, that's a, that's, that's a mass market. That's not like our niche. That's different. That's, cause they're trying to reach everybody. Uh, okay. Uh, and today you get these same companies that I was consulting with back then. If you get a catalog from them in the mail, uh, on the back is their Facebook, Twitter, and, and YouTube. So what happened? What happened there? Well, It wasn't that I was right, it's that it was self-evident what was happening. And what I want you to understand about social media today is instead of getting caught up in the buzzword social media, what is social media actually becoming today? It is becoming simply communication. Social media is replacing on many levels the telephone and the email and the letter. Social media is simply a way people communicate now and share information. And That is why when I saw it coming, I knew it would be that way, even the parts of it that I didn't really enjoy. It's like, I, you know, I don't like talking on the phone, but every business that I've ever run, there's been a phone number you could call and get in touch with me. And I would pick the phone up and call you if I needed something from you, right? Because it's ridiculous to believe that you would run a business today without having a means of communication, specifically a telephone. And there might be some places where it happens, but even in those businesses, it's like a drop shipping arrangement. Somebody answers the phone somewhere. There is a way for people to make a phone call. And that's what's happening with social media. And it's very important that we understand that. The next thing that's happening that makes this the greatest time ever to be building a business is the death of the gatekeepers. It really is. The gatekeepers are dying. They're absolutely dying off especially when it comes to communication and media and things like that. Um, if I would have been trying to get a show like the Survival Podcast off the air, it would have been the Survival Broadcast maybe instead, uh, back in 1995. I would have had to go uh, living in Dallas, 
to every major radio station and minor radio station in Dallas-Fort Worth and say, here's what I want to do, and I want to do it for my car, by the way, and I want to record it and give it to you, and the audio is going to suck, but you play it anyway, and people will dig it, and here's why, and here's my full plan as how this is going to roll out. And they would all said, <laughs> ass clown, get out of here, please. Just get away from us, right? And if I would have even been in Hot Springs, okay, Hot Springs, Hot Springs, Arkansas, and I would have done the same thing, they would have done, they would have laughed me out as well. Well, today I have an audience that's almost equivalent to the entire population of Hot Springs. Now, that's not bragging, because honestly, on some levels, I feel like my audience should be 50 or 60,000 by now. I feel like I haven't gone far enough fast enough. But on the other hand, I feel like I don't know if I could handle all the emails that would come if the audience doubled overnight anyway. So I always feel bad that I don't answer enough and everything works so it's good enough. But my point there is that that wasn't possible. It wasn't possible even 12 years ago to even think about doing this. And today anybody who wants to can. So I don't care what the economy does. Because as long as somebody out there somewhere wants anything, there'll be an economy to, to, to deliver it through. And now I have a media, medium to reach people. And the gatekeepers that would have laughed at me, the gatekeepers that say you can't, we don't, we're not interested, we want to squeeze you out, uh, all the ways that content were delivered in the past were basically really two ways, TV and radio. TV and radio were tightly controlled. And if somebody just didn't like, even if they thought you were going to be successful, if they just didn't like that you might compete with something they already had built success with, they could just squeeze you out. If you think about it, especially in the days before cable, right? there were three major networks. And if one of them didn't want to work with you, you weren't getting on TV. Now you have YouTube. Now you have Vimeo. You know, Now you have a hundred different websites that you can post your video through. Now you have iTunes that you can distribute your video to, to millions of devices. We can even distribute our content to TV if we want to now. All a person needs is a, a certain little attachment box, and they can get all of that content delivered to their television set. And in the future, you won't even need it. In the future, your TV will, be, will come completely and totally Internet integrated. And some of them already are. But I'm talking to a level that you, you, you can't even imagine yet. We're still building the networks to make this possible. The network doesn't exist. The technology exists. But the network to have a TV that you plug in and there's not even a, a satellite dish or a cable coming into it and you just turn it on and everything's already there, that network is coming and the device is waiting for it. And the gatekeepers are done. And all of the old guard, I talked about it recently, the bitch sessions that all like the CNN talking heads and Fox News talking heads have about social media and they, they just talk about how terrible it is that these kids are using internet shorthand and all. Those internet shorthand terms are going to become accepted words. They're going to become proper language. And I know you don't like it, and I don't care. I don't like some of it, and I don't care that I don't like it. The next generation changes the language. It's always happened. If you ran into a person from 1790, the two of you could have a conversation and understand each other most of the time, but a lot of the language you would just be totally disconnected. All right, well, that, that's not going to stop. So bitching about what you don't like doesn't help you. The next thing I want to talk about, if you're going to do this, if you're going to build a business, the commitment that's required. 
My wife and I just had uh, coffee with the one neighbor we had never really sat down with before uh, and his wife. They live like all the way at the top of the hill. Those beautiful pictures I posted on Facebook, their house is just actually a little higher up the hill from that. And uh, we went up there and we were sitting on their deck and we were talking. And, we're, you know, you always talk about what you do. And we're talking about the podcast and we're talking about his business. And he's in flooring. And I'm like, man, I wish you knew, I knew you were in flooring because we just put some in. And I would have given you the business and what have you. Uh, and if we do anything else, I'll be, you know, happy to do that. But we went off into, you know, like now I have an office versus working at home. And my wife started talking about how it's better now because when I go home, I'm actually disconnected from work. And I'm not working till midnight or 2 o'clock in the morning anymore. And I told her, honey, the only reason that we're, I'm not doing that now is because the business is established and it's flying. That's what you do when a business is on the ground and you're getting it off the ground. You work till 2 o'clock in the morning. And you know, at the time, I had a job that was eating 60 hours a week on top of it. That's the commitment that's required. If you want to go fast and you want to make it work and you want to build uh, confidence in your audience that it's worth their time to be vested in you. Do you know how many sites pop up, do a great job for a month, and then fall away? Millions. And guess what? Uh, it's not like 1999 when people were first getting online. We've all seen that before now. Audiences have a very hard time getting excited about you until you have de delivered to them beyond their commitment to you. You have to commit first. And when you're there three months and four months and it's every day, all of a sudden they're like, okay, okay, this person's, this person's worth uh, having in my RSS reader. This person's worth liking on Facebook. This, because understand this, even when you're doing things that don't cost that people any money, people will give you money easier today than time. Let me, let me say that again. I, I really think you need to understand that if you want to understand the commitment you need to make to build a business today. People will give you money quicker than time today. Let's say you run into a store and you're kind of hungry and you're not worried about eating healthy. How quick will you lay down a dollar for a candy bar? When you're in a hurry, though, how quick will you give somebody five minutes of your time? People value their time because there is so much information. There is so much great content out, content out there. Even if they're interested in it, they only have so much time. So if I'm going to grant you my commitment to pay attention to you, you're going to have to tell me that it's going to be a good commitment. And I don't think most people understand that today. And all of you guys that I've seen started these great little projects and let them linger and go, I know I really need to get back. Yeah, you do. And you need to do it every day. And if you don't, I'm not going to yell. I'm not yelling at you. But if, if you're telling me I want success and I know I need to get back at it, then I am yelling at you. If you want the success, that's required. If it's just a hobby, if it's just something you're doing to fart around, if you're just learning for now and you'll, you'll do something different with a serious commitment later and all you're trying to do is learn how everything works, well, that's fine. But if you're telling me you want success, I'm telling you that's the commitment. I also want to talk about why doing what you love works. People will tell you you can't just do what you love, can't have the kids sitting around watching Dual Survivor and thinking he's going to do something like that. First of all, doing what you love always works. And be, the reason it works today is that to run an online business today, there's certain things that even if you're going to do outsourcing, you need to know how to do them before you outsource them so that you only outsource what makes sense for you and you only outsource the things that... that um, that, that you can't spend time doing and that when you do outsource something, you're not bullshitted and lied to by the person you're outsourcing it to. So when they say, this is going to take 12 hours, you go, well, since I don't know what I'm doing and I can do it in four, uh, I don't need you. I'll find somebody else. Okay? I mean, th those are some of the things there. Well, 
To do that is, is daunting. When you sit down and go, okay, basically what I know is how to search Google, uh, uh, talk to my friends on Facebook, and uh, make comments in forums and blogs. I don't really know how to set up a blog. I don't know how to do graphic design. I don't know how to write sales copy. I don't know how to put automation systems into place. I don't know what these WordPress plugins everybody's talking about are. I don't know how shopping cart software is. I don't know how PayPal is. I don't know any of this crap. Well, it's the same thing as unschooling, okay? Real unschooling. Real unschooling is a kid like, I don't know math, I don't know how to spell, I don't know how to write, I don't know how to read, right? But if I say, what do you love? And that kid says, well, I love learning about snakes. And I say, okay, let's build a lesson plan around snakes. And we start saying, well, how, how big does this snake get versus that snake? And how, how much more percent, what's the percentage of growth the snake has? If I can tie it to something the kid loves, I can teach math, I can teach science, I can teach history. Who was the first person that documented this species? Who was he? How did he find it? You know, uh, what is the first, if it's venomous, what is the first documented case of somebody dying from it? How was antivenom developed? What is the dosage of antivenom given to a person that weighs 200? I can teach them everything that you say they need to learn using any subject you can come up with under the sun, including Spider-Man comics. Can you imagine the physics lessons that you could build around Spider-Man? When you're passionate about the subject, all the peripheral things, all the peripheral things, Becomes second nature. So if you know what you're doing is important to you, then you can learn how to build a blog about it because that becomes important to you. If you know that, well, now that I want to monetize this, I need to learn how to link to PayPal, it's easy. Or if you're trying to learn to link to PayPal, what are you linking to PayPal? I don't know yet. Or this piece of crap that I think somebody will buy that I don't really care about. Or I'm just going to go into one of these scam uh, MLM companies and their, their site's going to do the selling for me, which is a total pile of bullshit, by the way. Um, and you're not going to learn anything, then you're going to fail. And you're not going to learn jack diddly. But if you do what you love, I don't care if it's fishing. I don't care if you spend the next two years building a fishing website and fishing community and blogging your ass off about fishing. And then one day in two years you sit down and go, well, I've really learned a lot doing this, but I don't think this is really what I want to do for a business. You have every skill you need to now to take any subject and turn it into a business. Hopefully you started out with something you loved. I, I did, but I did not start out with something that would become a business. Hopefully you started out with something that is going to be your business, but it's not required. And these young kids that are 15, 16, 17, if you can get them doing this, by the time they get to college, if they want to go, their business can pay for college, if they even want to go. And they may not. And if you do what, if you, do what you love, you'll make the right decisions about big uh, things like that. The next thing is I want to talk about why doing what you know also works. Um, let's say you're an accountant, right? But you don't have a real passion for accounting. But you do know accounting. Well, if you had a really innovative way to simplify accounting, maybe it's not even really something like a, a high-end program. Maybe it's just you've come up with a really awesome spreadsheet that any small business owner can drop numbers into and understand their, 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 their finance flow better than any time in history. Well, you can spin that into a package, and you can sell that. And if it actually works, well, it'll sell. So you can do what you know or do what you love 
but you need to do one of the two to establish the skill set, and then you can do anything else that you ever find opportunity in that you think is worthy of your time. But let me kind of bridge those two worlds for you. If you are an accountant and you're kind of burned out on accounting, which is your clients bring you your, their, their books and you go through it and you tell them how they can get more financing or whatever and here's your taxes and, and what have you, and that's what's burning you out, odds are that um, actually that's not how you feel about accounting. That's how you feel about what you're doing about accounting. Accounting is a pretty advanced discipline. Uh, I've taken some accounting courses, and uh, I took even an AP accounting course, which was like a college-level accounting course I took in uh, high school. And I found certain parts of it very, very interesting. So if you could take accounting, what you know, and only take the parts of it that you actually get excited about and put that into uh, a, uh, a Anything from a blog to a podcast to a series of shortcut spreadsheets or anything else like that, you could build an entire presence around that and actually do the part of what you know that you like that would actually apply to people, that would apply to people like me. Um, you want to tell me all these complex accounting formulas and all, it's like, dude, I learned it and I forgot it and I don't care. But if you can tell me ways to analyze my business easily that are going to make my business more profitable, and make my my purchasing decisions easier, and I don't know that you can. But if you can, I'm going to at least sniff it out. And if, if if here's the big thing. I keep mentioning this article, A Thousand True Fans. If you get a thousand people that sniff you out to decide they are your fan, they are your fan in accounting, they will, they will listen to you. Every time you put something out, they will listen to you. If you can get a thousand of those people to give you a dollar a month, That's $12,000 a year. Can you live on that? Probably not. Will it change your life? Probably. And if you're an accountant doing that, you can probably take that $12,000 in income and create a $24,000 phantom loss with it so that the $12,000 becomes $20,000 in spendable income because there's some real tax advantages to having a business. And a lot of things that you would buy anyway start to become deductible. I'm not talking about cheating the code. I'm talking about working the code. And if you're an accountant, you know exactly what I'm saying. So doing what you love works. Doing what you know works. Doing the part of what you know that you love works really, really good. Um, the next thing is the system's more important than the subject. And I already talked about the most important part of the system is, is frequency. Every single time an entrepreneur says, Jack, look at my website, tell me what you think, the first thing I say is, uh, try again, because I don't tell you what I think of your site. What do you want to know? What do you want to know about your site? Now, a lot of times I don't even answer. And sometimes I just don't have the time. Sometimes I don't even have the time to look. But I hate that. Well, what do you think? What suggestions do you have? What the hell are you asking me? Right? It's like pointing at a house and going, what do you think of that house and what should I do with it? I don't know. What do you want it to be? What are you trying to do? What's your plan? What's your objective? But even when I get past that, you know the number one recommendation I give people? You're not doing enough frequency. You're not putting out enough content on a regular basis for me to give a shit about what you're doing. You're just not. You know, if you're doing a cooking show on YouTube, I look at it this way. You freaking have to eat every day of your life. You have to cook food, right? If you're a cook... I, I guarantee you that most of the time when you eat at your house, you're cooking yourself something. You should be putting out a YouTube video a day. I don't care if you're making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. 
you know, today all I'm doing is making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And this is what I'm doing, and this is the brand I like, and this is the jelly I like. And, you know, we made the jelly in a previous episode, so you know how that works. And I really don't have a recipe for you today, but what I wanted to point out is every once in a while, even if you're trying to ascribe to becoming a gourmet cook, there's a certain happiness in some nice toasted bread with some warm peanut butter on it and a little bit of jelly and a glass of milk. This has been Joe Blow, the chef, today, just reminding you once in a while to think simply. And that's your video that day. That's better than no video that day. Frequency is the lack of frequency is what kills most online businesses. If you're trying to build community, and I don't think there's many businesses where you should not be trying to build community, that's what it should be all about is building community. The next one is, um, I'm going to say a little bit more about this before I go on, but the system is more important than the subject. Your site has to direct people to do things. If you come to my site, it becomes very apparent to you that there's a play button there, and if I play it, someone's going to start talking to me. That does a lot of the work for me, right? But if you want to join the member support brigade, there's a members tab, right? And there's a members banner. And if you want to get in touch with me, there's a subscribe And you click on it, and you get all these different ways to stay in touch with me. And the whole site is a system. The whole site is a process. So that process needs to be really built today around keeping people coming back. I don't care if you're selling anything or not when you launch. And odds are, the smartest thing you can do when you launch a new online site, a new online business, is sell nothing for 12 months. Now, there's times when you're going to break that rule. Uh, if you're a writer and you already have 15 ebooks, put them up for sale, for God's sakes. Duh. Right? But I even think that the days that you're going to start throwing AdSense on your sites are gone. Now, if you want to build a whole little bunch of micro-satellite niche sites, right, and they're all somewhat related to your main niche, and you're going to use those to build an SEO presence, a search engine presence, and uh, you're just going to put them up, they're five-page mini-sites, and they're going to be there, and they're going to function, and that's it. You can throw all the ad crap you want, and they're fine. And if it makes you 50 bucks a month, or 200 bucks a month, or 1,000 bucks a month, fine. And it can do any of those, depending on how much time you want to put there. But every second you spend doing that, you're not spending building your primary property. But on your primary property, leave the AdSense alone. Just leave them alone. And I'll talk a little bit more on that in a second with building your product base. But I just think that you're, you're, you're going to lose a certain amount of credibility with your listeners. If you've watched the uh, movie, The Social Network, one of the things that the founder was very adamant about at first is we don't want to do advertising. We, this thing is cool, and we don't even know what it's going to grow up and be yet. We need to let it become something and then monetize it. And the, the one partner that got pushed out in the end, that got screwed over on some levels and on other levels, he was an ass clown. Right. This is a guy that didn't know, that was a founder, but didn't know how to change his status from single to in a relationship. We learned that in the movie. I don't know if that really happened, but if it did, what an ass clown. But, you know, he wanted to sell advertising, and what the founder wanted to do was keep it what it was until the audience told him what it was going to become. And I think that is really a formula for success. It's what I did with Survival Podcast. Um, I, people tried to donate money to the show in the first few months. I wouldn't take it. Two different people, because we were going to put an event together, found out my PayPal email address and sent me donations unsolicited. I sent them back. Do not monetize your site unless you have a clear-cut objective in monetizing it. If you built a great bullet trap and you want to sell it, put it out there for sale. That's different. But if you're building a community-based site that you're eventually going to sell informational products or knowledge products or electronic products or anything into, 
build the community first, build the community's trust first, and they will beg you to do business with them. And that's reality. And it's not a bait and switch at all. That's earning the right to have the people do business with you. That's very different from saying, oh, it's free today and it costs money tomorrow. That's bullshit. Whatever you give away for free today, give it away for free tomorrow. But add something to it and charge for it. And that, I mean, there were some people when I came up with Members Brigade on the survival, they were pissed off at me. They, I got hate mail. I will never pay for your podcast after all this time and I've been listening to you every day and now you want me to pay for it. I don't want you to pay for anything. But you know what? Don't listen because I don't need you. Right? You think you've done me a favor because you've listened? If you've shared it, you've done me a huge service. If you've listened, I appreciate you. But it's not like I owe you something because you listened to my content for a year for free. Right? And by the way, this is an additional thing. If you don't want it, you don't have to. But there were people that were mad. Imagine if I had said, from now on, to subscribe to the Survival Podcast will cost you 50 cents a month. $6 a year. It'll be a subscription-only service. People would have been really mad, and they would have had a right to be mad. And even if 100% of the people, 100% of the people said, that's fine, 50 cents a month, <laughs> I would I would have less of a successful business today if every single person gave me 50 cents a month than I do with sponsors and supporting members and the other things that I'm able to reach out and do because I wasn't greedy and I didn't bait and switch people. I feel like I poured it out for a, for a year and I earned the right to ask you for your business. That's a huge commitment from you to your audience, whoever they are. And I don't care if you're not doing a podcast or a video or anything like that. Your market, you have to see them as an audience, as a community. You have to earn their respect. So that's why the system is more important than the subject. Because you can do this with any subject. The next thing I need to talk about before I go into kind of the nuts and bolts of products and, and what you should be doing today and what you shouldn't be doing is I have to say something here that I think most people that listen to this show with any frequency are already aware of. Uh, but it needs to be said just to be sure because I need to get poverty consciousness out of the head of anybody that wants a business. Poverty is not a virtue. It is not virtuous to be, pover to be poverty stricken. You're not wrong because you're poor. Um, you're not a bad person if you're poor. Uh, but it's not a virtue. You know, a virtue is kindness. Right? Be, when you're kind, it's a virtue to have kindness in your heart. If you, if you don't temper it with some intelligence, it can actually harm you. But the kindness itself is a pure virtue. It is virtuous to be kind. Courage is a virtue. If you are a courageous person that will stand up for those who are weaker than you in a situation where you can make a difference, that's virtuous. It really is. We have decided that because we were told in, in many religions, including the Christian religion, blessed are the poor, that poverty is a virtue. You can learn a lot from poverty, and you can find a lot of blessings in poverty, but it's not virtuous, because being poor doesn't help anybody else. Being poor can be beneficial to the person who's poor, and I don't mean it in some twisted, uh, maniacal way about, hey, you get my money through taxes. That's not what I mean. I mean, there are people who ha had very successful lives, but have completely lost themselves as a person. And eventually they lose everything they have and they become very poor and they find themselves as a person and they eventually lift themselves back out of poverty and they become far more than they ever could have without that experience. So 
being poor can benefit you, but being poor won't benefit anybody else. If you are a kind poor person and do lots of things, you can help other people, but it won't be because you were poor, it will be because you were kind. And if you were the same kind person with money, you could do more. Being poor is not a virtue. It is a state of being and it is temporary. A truly kind person will be kind, assuming they don't lose their mind to dementia, from the time they become old enough to express kindness until the day we lay them into the ground. It is a permanent state once found, if it's true, if it's genuine, if it's real, if it's not just suckering somebody. Poverty is a temporary state. How long you stay there is your choice. Now, it doesn't mean that you can just wake up tomorrow and go, I'm not going to be poor anymore, and money will fall out of, of the sky. But in some ways, it almost does if you take the right steps in your life. I'm not talking about airy-fairy crap here. I'm not talking about the unmitigated law of attraction, because a lot of things have to go together with the law of attraction to make it work. There's a lot of mentality adjustments, and there's a lot of work to make it work. But please understand, being poor is not virtuous. It's okay to have money. It's okay to be wealthy. It's okay to be stinking rich if that's what you want to be, as long as you don't lose your virtue when the money comes. You know, they say money is the root of all evil, and it's not true. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. What you love is what determines your virtue, not how much money you have or do not have. So don't limit yourself because you have a negative view of wealth, and so many people do that. If you ask, please tell me what you think of when I say wealthy. Greedy, stingy, controlling. If a bunch of negative words come out of you, you got to reprogram that shit. You got to do it right now. I'm sorry. You absolutely can't have that view of wealth and then do what you love and become wealthy. It's impossible. It's absolutely impossible. You also have to think about how you define wealth. I don't define wealth as being a multimillionaire. Uh, I will probably never be a multimillionaire. I probably won't. I probably could be. I probably could be several times over by now if I really wanted to be. Um, but I want happiness in my life. I want all my bills paid. When I decide that, you know what, I've been really good, I've lost almost 50 pounds. I'm so happy to tell you guys that, by the way. Since the day I quit corporate America, uh, January 1st last year till now, I've lost 50 pounds. And because of that, and because I just feel like it today, I'm going to go sit down, and I'm going to have a pizza, and I'm going to order a pitcher of beer with a buddy, and we're going to sit down and shoot the shit, and I'm going to pick up the tab, and I'm going to give a great tip. The guy that brought us the pizza that's expecting a dollar, I'm going to give him 10 bucks on a $30 tab. I don't want to think about it. If I can do that, I can, and I don't have to worry about how it's going to affect my mortgage payment, I consider myself wealthy. And that's probably why I'll never be a multimillionaire, because the more we get, the more we give away. I don't talk about that a lot. But it's a, that's a wealth principle I won't go deep in today. But if you want to understand how much comes in, you better understand how much goes out, not just in a business sense as to expenses and to taxes and to living, but how much goes out in charity. If there's not some going to charity, you're going to have a restriction on what comes in because you're going to see the money is limited and finite, and you will never live in abundance. Permaculture principle, by the way, too. It's all they they all tie together. Um, but let's start out now. Let's get into I mean nuts and bolts, brass tacks. I'm going to give you four main topics and three bullet or three bullet points for three of them and two for one. And it's everything you need to know about building a business today. The first one is there's three things you need to know about your audience. And remember, they're an audience. I don't care what you do. If you're the guy that takes people on trail walks 
right? And you're going to take one person a day, five days a week on a trail walk, or one family a day, five days a week on a trail walk. Your audience needs to be a thousand times bigger than that, right? You need, you need tens of thousands of people that have connected with you online so that when they come to where you are, you're the first person that they call, and they're your audience. So the first thing you need to know about your audience is who are they, right? And I do not mean uh, the demographic way. Who are they? What, who are they really? If you said, who is your audience, Jack, I would tell you that it's primarily, if the demographic side, primarily American, 60 to 65% male, uh, 35 to 40, uh, or 35 to 40%, uh, I, I mean, I'm sorry, uh, 25 to 30% female. And, uh, most people are in their late 20s to early 40s. And that's pretty accurate. But it's not who you really are. My audience are people that have had enough of the system in its current form and want to know what they can do to improve their quality of life. They don't want to be told what they must do. They want information so they can make decisions about what they want to do. And they want someone who they feel cares about them to give them as much of that as he can possibly give them so that they can take that information and do whatever the hell they want to with it because it's their God-given right as a human being on planet Earth. Has anybody ever told you that's who you are before? And I'll bet 90% of you just went, oh my God, Jack knows who I am. That's what I mean by who are they. Who are they? What do they want? That's the next part. And I just gave you what I think you want as part of who you are. But what do you want? And I believe you want information. You want to know how this stuff works. You want to know what you can do. You want to know um, what's going on out there. You want someone to tell you their opinion who is not being censored by somebody else, even when you disagree with it. You don't want bullshit. You want the truth. That's what you want. And then the third question How do they want it? You need to write these down. Three things you need to know about your audience. Who are they? What do they want? How do they want it? I'll tell you how you want it. What you want is you want audio programming. You want to be able to listen, and most of you want to be able to listen while you do something else so you maximize your time. You're tired of talk radio, so you want it in your car. You mow the grass once a week, so you want a bunch of stuff on your iPod to listen to. You work all the time at a desk and a computer, and what you do is somewhat mindless for a large part of the day, so you want it playing in the background so you can pick up what you need. It, you're, you're in somewhere in there. Now, are there people that want what I do in text? Yes, they're not really my audience. I put some blog posts out, some articles out and all, but reality is there's a thousand blogs out there that are great in this space. That do audio. So when I get people like, well, you could give me transcripts of every episode. No. Cost too much, and I'm going to get too little of a return, and it's not my business. I'm not a writer. And those of you who have read my writing know I can write passionately. I can write descriptively, but I write the way that I speak, and I use the wrong words sometimes, and I misspell words sometimes, and I, I don't use periods as much as I should, and I don't put enough commas in, and tough shit. That's the way I write. But that's why I do an audio show. So I made a conscious decision that when I knew who you were and what you want, that I would find the people who wanted it the way that I was best gifted at delivering it. And I know those three things cold about you. Now, you want a successful business? You know those three things cold about your audience. And you say, but what if my audience doesn't exist yet? Define them and then find them. Define and find. 
Write it down. Define and find. If you define it first, there's 6.7 billion people out there or something like that. Odds are there's a few thousand that are exactly like what you, but then you got, you got your target. And when somebody tries to drag you off target and says what you really need to do is this, and then this guy comes up with this great internet marketing course for $995 and you can go meet some guy that's supposed to be famous that you never heard of and sit there with a bunch of other drones and do what they say and it takes you off target, you go, nope. And even if you go do that, you'll probably find a ton of useful information in something like that, but you'll bring it back onto your target and you'll stay like a freaking Guided missile. And every time you're not sure, should I do this? Should I say this? Should I put this out? Who are they? What do they want? How do they want it? Am I obeying those three rules? All right, now, the next thing is beyond the the, the specific want, there are th the three A's, right? Three A, triple A of what your audience, of what all audiences want most today. They are affinity, authenticity, and action items. They want to feel like they belong to something, that they're part of something bigger than themselves, that there's other people in it with them. It's not just you and them. You're not just this really great guy that blogs about bass fishing. They're part of the bass fishing community, and you have a badass community within the bass fishing community, and the other community members that are part of your community are badass, and they're going to be friends, and they're going to talk to each other, and they're going to get a forum, and they're going to be on Facebook, and they are part of something. They have an affinity with you. They would be proud to wear a shirt with your name on it. You want a People want to feel like they're part of something. We're communal creatures. So your audience wants affinity. You need to give them a means to express the affinity. That means you have to give them some control over your brand. You have to give them some freedom. You know, Delta Airlines saying, you can't use our logo anywhere. You're freaking stupid. You want to take my logo and put it somewhere? As long as you don't claim it's yours? As long as you're not emulating it so that you can build something of your own. If you want to take my logo and put it on anything and go, this is a survival podcast and this is what they do and they're over there, go ahead. You, if you read my district, go under policies and disclaimers on my site, read my distribution policy. It's pretty much distribute your ass off. If you're going to do it for commercial purposes, talk to me about it. We'll work something out, right? But other than that, if you want to play my episode at a, at a function somewhere, If you want to take a video of mine and play, go! Distribute your ass off. We are part of the same family. We have an affinity. Your audience wants affinity. Give it to them. They want authenticity. Don't ever say shit to your audience you don't believe. I don't care if it costs you business the day you say it. It will earn you business long term to be authentic. I don't think there's a person out there that's listened to more than two or three episodes of this show that thinks Jack Spirico is full, a full of shit liar. He just says whatever he thinks we want to hear. I think you listen to me and you go, man, sometimes I think that guy's full of shit because I don't agree, but he's not full of shit because he's not authentic. I think that if you listen to this show, you know I absolutely believe every word I say, unless I'm mocking something and playing with it or whatever. But when I tell you this is what I think, this is what you should do, and when I screw it up, and this is, you cannot be authentic if you ignore when you screw things up. You know? I told you way back in the beginning of the show, Right? I, I used to use the analogy of putting the frog in the boiling water to talk about what was going on around here. You know, how, how society is changing and everybody just accepts it. You put the frog in the boiling water and slowly turn up the temperature. You slowly turn him up. And what happens? He doesn't even try to hop out of the pot and eventually the water starts to boil and he's dead. Right? Uh, so I use it all the time. Why? Because everybody else did. I thought it was true. You know what? I also told you eventually it's not true. It doesn't work that way. Mythbusters did it. 
uh, checked it out, and they didn't boil frogs to do it or anything, but they did some tests, and they found out if you start turning the water up on a frog and the water starts to get a little bit too warm, he'll jump out of there. And I thought to myself, why didn't you know that as much as you know about reptiles and amphibians? Reptiles and amphibians do something called thermoregulation. If you are little side note here, but this is why this is how myths you know get dispelled with truth and authenticity. So I have uh, four really beautiful snakes, big beautiful snakes, and they each have their own cage. And in their cage, there's a warm side and a cool side. And anybody that's ever kept reptiles knows this. And when that snake's feeling a little bit too cool, he climbs over to the warm side. And when he feels a little bit too warm, he climbs over to the cool side. No matter how slowly I adjust those settings, he's going to go wherever he's most comfortable. So why would a frog be any different? So when you screw it up, tell the truth about it, tell people you screwed it up, and make a correction. I gave you a story recently about a kid that used a Fibonacci sequence with solar panels to increase solar efficiency. Eventually... Uh, it, it got, de it got uh, debunked. So when it got debunked, the next listener feedback show, what did I do? I told you uh, I was wrong. The scientific community was wrong. Everybody that said it was right, it didn't work out that way. I still think something's there, but we need to do more, he needs to do more research and go back to it. Uh, but when I screw up, I tell you, okay, I screwed up. I was wrong. That's authenticity. So affinity and authenticity and the last one, action items. People want to know what they can do. They don't want you to tell them what to do. They want you to tell them all the things they can do, and then they want to go do the ones that make sense for their lives. So your audience today online and in the business community as a whole, what they want is affinity, authenticity, and action. The next one is there are only two types of products in the world. There's only two. And I don't mean like electronic and physical, and that would be another way in the modern age we could divide some things up. And we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. But on a much broader classification... There's only two types of products that people ever buy. And the first one is something we need. So food is a product. So basic food is a need. And you, the people will buy food every single day, right? Because they have to. They will buy gas for their car. And whether we think we need gas or not, in our modern society, we do, right? We need, so energy would be, it'd be a bigger classification, but it's a need. Communications are a need. So like telephones are a need, whether it's a landline or a cell phone, doesn't matter. People, by and large, view these things as needs. Now, you can make a case that all of these things are not needed because the person can forage for food. They don't really need to call somebody. They're not going to die without it. And they don't really need to drive their car anywhere because we didn't even have cars 200 years ago, and everybody lived from 200 years back. And you would be right, but it's the way they're classified in the mind of the purchaser that I'm talking about. Needs, and the other one, of course, then is wants. And most people, when they go into a business, they want to go into business and sell what everybody needs. That is the, 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 the fool's business for the small business person. And you say, but there's a lot of small business people that are, that are selling food, but they're not selling food people need. They're selling food people want. They're selling something organic or easy to make or quick or that tastes really specially good or something like that. You want to go into business and you try to go into a business as selling corn. I don't mean special Hopi blue, Hopi blue corn. I don't mean a special red corn. I don't mean a special organic corn. I mean you're going to sell freaking corn that's one level above feed corn. That's going to be your business and that's going to be your entire business. You're going to get killed. As a small business person, as a micro-business person, you're going to get killed. And that's another, I, I kind of skipped over the show notes on that. There's, there's, there's really three classifications of business in my view. Mega corporations, small businesses, 
and they can say small to mid-size. It's, it's small or it's mega, right? And there's micro-businesses. And a small business is anything from, you know, you know a six-man show that's, uh, that's doing, uh, you know, a million dollars a year or more to, you know, somebody with a 500-person business uh, that's doing $50 million. It's still really a small business in the world of Exxon, in the world of Google, in the world of Microsoft. Now, those two businesses have to be run differently, but they run very, very, very similar, similarly. And if you were the accountant we talked to about earlier, you would understand what I mean when I say that. Just trust me. There are certain fundamentals of the way those businesses run that are very, very similar. And when we go up into the publicly traded mega corporation side of things, they run differently. They run like a whole bunch of those little businesses put together in a command structure chain. And then there's a micro-business. That's just you or you and your, your wife, right? The small, the true small micro-business. And that's what's best to start for most people. Because that's where you have the most freedom. And if all you want is a lifestyle that lets you live the way you want, it's the easiest way to get there with the least amount of commitment to others, the least amount of trouble, right? So when you're doing that, if you focus on, on needed, you're going to get killed because of pricing alone. But here's the other thing you need to understand. We're going through a recession right now. And the businesses that are hurting the most are small businesses in the needed sector. Megacorps in the need sector are doing very well. Record-breaking profits. The best small and micro businesses right now are in the wanted category. And why? If you have a guy that's like a freaky, addicted surfer guy, he'll buy the latest and greatest surfboard next year when it comes out in the middle of a recession while he makes 10 different calls to 10 different cellular providers to cut his cell phone bill. Even though the board would have paid for three cell phone plans for a full year at the most expensive rate. He'll do it. People cut the needs first. The first, when people lose a job, what do they say? How can we save money at the grocery store? Let's turn off more lights and save money on the electric bill until dad gets a job again. People always cut the needs first, so focus on the wants. And then in the wanted products, there are only three real reasons people buy any wanted product. And they are the golden trifecta of product marketing. This is another one you want to write down or go to the website and get the show notes for today. But there are only three things people buy this stuff for. They buy it because it's going to entertain them on some level. So the surfboard, it's entertaining, right? They buy it because it changes their life, so life-changing. And number three is profit-yielding. And profit's not always money, okay? If I sell you something that, or directly profit-yielding, so let's say I sell you a weight loss product, and you are going to the point where you're going to die if you don't lose some weight. You're going to have type 2 diabetes within five years, Uh, you're morbidly obese. You can you breathe hard when you walk up the stairs. And I give you that product. I sell you that product. It's a life-changing product probably, but it's also profit-yielding. Uh, what you're going to save on health care alone, right? Uh, the fact that you could probably still take a job instead of end up in a wheelchair rolling your fat ass around because you're too lazy to get out of the chair so you can lose weight. Uh, so there's there's other ways that profits are yielded, and that's where it's important that you understand the way the three of them work together to build the most awesome product. Let's go back to the guy that was going to do the day hike thing, day-guided hikes. You're going to come into my area, and I'm going to take you and show you the things that everybody else walks by. 
I mean, that's a great business, by the way. It really is. Uh, there was a, actually a listener that talked about doing it. I don't know if he ever did, but I was like, go do it. He's like, well, I need to learn more. No, no, don't learn more. If you learn more, you'll learn why it won't work. That's what learning more will do to you. It'll, if you learn more, it'll teach you about, get started and learn while you do it and you'll learn how to make it work. If you start learning before you do, if you go, ah, oh, if I put up a site and it's not right, then shut up and do it. You'll change it. You'll make it work. If you start trying to learn before you apply, you'll talk yourself out of it. So anyway, let's go back to that, right? So you're going to do that. Okay. Is that entertaining? If you are going with your family on vacation and you're going to go see this, this, uh, you know, long haired wilderness guy and he's, instead of teaching you how to make bowl drill fires or something, which you can learn in your garage, he's going to take you out and just show you just beauty and he's going to give your family memories they're never going to forget. That's entertainment, is it not? Next one. Is it life changing? I believe that it most certainly is. I believe that if you go spend a day with a person like that seeing things that you would have missed otherwise, You'll remember it forever. And if you remember something and you talk about it in the future, it's had an impact on your life and it's changed your life. Maybe it doesn't mean that you're going to go from being broke and lonely to you know super successful the way Anthony Robbins tells you you can or something like that. It's still going to impact your life permanently. So it's life-changing. Is it profit-yielding? I don't know. What's a memory worth to you? If you pay this guy, a family of four, 20 bucks a head, 80 bucks, and he takes you on a two-hour hike... And you have something you remember forever and your family discusses forever. And you tell people, man, when you go there, you got to see Jim. Jim is freaking awesome. Has it, has it benefited you beyond the cost? Does it last? Is it real value to you? And if it is, then it's profit yielding. Now, profit yielding can be direct. If I'm the accountant we talked about earlier and I build this awesome spreadsheet and it costs you $200, It's just an Excel spreadsheet with a bunch of formulas and macros in it and stuff like that. But you buy it, and this year it saves you $1,000 in costs. It just profited you $800. Easy sell. Easy sell. But when I can put the three together, I can build something unstoppable. And that's what's made my show successful. Hopefully my show's entertaining. Hopefully even when it's not a subject you're really into, and you go, I'm not really going to listen to it, you put it on and then you go, Oh, at least he's making me laugh and he's making me think and I, I feel entertained. I know what we do here is life-changing because you guys tell me all the time. I've changed my life. And I love when you say that. You know what I hate when you say, you changed my life. No, 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 Mr. or Mrs. whoever. I did not change your life. I gave you the means by which to reevaluate your life and make your own decision to change your life for yourself. But the product of survival podcasts is life-changing. I also believe it's absolutely profit-yielding. First of all, I think there are people today that are going to listen to this episode and go, you know what, screw it, I'm getting off my ass and doing what this crazy son of a bitch says. You know what, it just might work. And they're going to build a business and they're going to be able to fund the life they desire from some stupid little blog they're going to put together. And the ones of you that email me go, what do you think after this episode? I'm going to be like, oh my God, you didn't listen. What are you doing Just get out and do it. You know, if you want to know how I do business, look at my site. You know, I don't hide anything that I do. I don't hide it from my competitors, and I don't hide it from my customers. My entire business model is 100% transparent. If you want to know what I would do, this is what I would do. I don't think it's what you should do. I think you should do the same thing I tell you about every single thing else out there. I think you should look at it, pick and choose what works for you, and get your ass to work. But understand there's fundamental rules. 
So just like I tell you, you can do whatever you want with survival planning, but you you got to account for water and food. Right? I don't care how you do it, but those are fundamentals. So with business, there's fundamentals. You have to have a system in place. You have to have a frequency. You have to build affinity with your audience. You have to deliver. You have to be good at what you do. Those are fundamentals, but the actual application and what it looks like and how it comes out, that's totally up to you. Doesn't mean I can't look at a site generally and go, well, here's two or three things. But you know why I don't do that? Because usually when I go, here's two or three things you can do, you know what happens a month later when the person comes back and asks for more? Did you do A? No. Did you do B? No. Did you do C? No. Go away. To the point where I don't even care anymore. Right? And then you get a person that's like, well, I'll do everything you say, and they think they did it, and they didn't do it anyway. It's just, go. It doesn't even matter what I think. You know what matters? Does it work? Are you building affinity, authenticity, and, and action in your audience? Are they, are they acting on what you're giving them? Are they buying from you? Are they doing business with you? Are they telling other people about you? Then if I look at your site and go, your site sucks, I would never build a site like that. You know what you can tell me? Jack, it doesn't matter because my site's successful because it's doing these things. And I would say, huh, well, shows the show that I can be wrong. Good for you. Keep doing it then. Right? That's how you build a business today. That's how you have success. But if you can put a product out that's profit-yielding, people will buy it. It's a no-brainer. Let's say, for instance, that um, on my member support brigade for $50 a year, that you're just about to go buy something from Western Botanicals. You're going to do it, no matter what. And you're going to buy maybe $100 worth of herbal stuff. And you see they have a preferred membership, and it's $50 a year, and it's going to save you 25%. So that's going to save you 25 bucks right now. If you give them 50 more. So eventually, so what you're actually going to do is give them 125 to get $100 worth of product. But you're going to do that because you know that when you run out of this stuff, you always buy it, you're going to buy it again. So you buy the product. Well, it's profit yielding to you. That's why you bought it. But when you find out you can get that $50 product for me for free and everything else that's in the members brigade for 50 bucks, then your $50 goes further. So you'd rather give it to me than give it to Kyle Christensen. So why does he do it? Because he knows I can reach more people than he can individually. So together, we create profit yielding in combination, and he gets more business and I get more business. But you'll buy it. Why wouldn't you buy it? If it's immediately profitable, you're going to buy it. Now, I believe the entire package of what I put out, the show every day is profit yielding. I believe there's people that have saved hundreds of thousands of dollars back in 2008 when I screamed, get out, get out, get out, get out, get out, because they did it, you know, <laughs> they bailed. And I believe that going forward, when I'm telling, teaching people about how to grow their own food, and they learn to do it, and they do it right, and they do it well, and they cut their grocery bill by 30 or 40% a year, it's profit yielding. But if it wasn't entertaining and life-changing at the same time, it would be nowhere near as powerful as it is. So if you really want to build a strong business, I would build a product based on entertainment, life-changing, and profit-yielding principles. And if you do that, people are going to do business with you. And the reality is you need a 1,000 people. A 1,000 people. Let's look at it another way. Let's say you have a 1,000 people who will give you $50 a year. You build a $50 product, and a 1,000 people are willing to buy it. That doesn't take a lot of genius math, does it? $50,000 a year. How many Americans out there Adult working Americans make less than $50,000 a year to work a hell of a lot harder than you have to to build something like that. Not harder every day. On a, you know, when I say that is you have to work harder every day forever. 
You probably have to work a lot harder in the beginning to get there. But once you get a system in place and you know what you're doing, you can keep that going with a lot less effort than the person that has to work nine to five at a cost that's emotional and physical and spiritual. And how many Americans do you think, just off the top of your head, make less than, less than $50,000 a year? Well, it just so happens that the uh, most recent figures I can find uh, is that the median U.S. household income today, the household income, mom and dad together, is $46,326. That means that half the families in the U.S. are living on incomes of less than $46,000 and some change, while the other half are living on incomes that exceed that amount. When dual income households are considered a loan, they have a median income. So that's when, they, when you really put them together and, and take out all the singles, uh, about $67,348. There's about 110 million households in the United States, which means that 55 million households have an income that is below about $46,000. So 55 million households in America make less than $50,000 a year, significantly less because it's under 46. So half the people out there. Are making less than that. And I'm telling you, if you build what I'm talking about today and get a thousand people to give you 50 bucks, you're better off than half the country. Interesting, isn't it? And if you're making a hundred, you might think, well, I need to make a hundred. Do you? Maybe you do. I don't know. But if you can make 50, you can make a hundred. If you can make a hundred, you can make a million. It's all about how much you want to put in and how much you want to commit and what's really important to you in life and how much do you want to give away. Remember, poverty is not a virtue. It's absolutely not virtuous to be poor. Doesn't mean the poor can't be virtuous. Those are two very, very different things. But it's okay to have money. It's okay to make money. It's okay to be successful. And I hope I've given you a formula for that today. Uh, remember, if you want more on this, you can check out 5 Minutes with Jack. I only did about 35 episodes there. It's not my business. This show is my business. So I don't know when, if ever, I'm going to do more on 5 Minutes with Jack. But I dare you to take what I gave you today, let alone everything else that's over there, and apply it and not be successful. You don't need more from me. This is what you need, what you heard today, an hour and 10 minutes. This is what you need to know. This is what you need to do. Get out and start doing. Get out and start building. And if it's not for you, fine. Don't blame somebody else when they're successful. Don't resent it. Take these principles and be a better employee if that's what you're going to be. Take these principles and be a better uh, head of a church group. You know, everything I've given to you today can be done in a nonprofit environment very, very successfully. You can build a church around affinity, affinity authenticity, and action items. You can build a fundraising organization around who are they, what do they want, and how do they want it. You can build anything based on giving people what is wanted more than what is needed. You can build any organization, any business, any company, anything, any place based on understanding that the best way to get people involved is to give them entertainment, help them change their lives for the better, and give them something that they consider to be profitable in their lives. It doesn't matter what it is. So if you think today didn't apply to you just because you're not an entrepreneur, I'm telling you it did. It's up to you how you apply the information. As always, that's the way it is. I give you everything I know, everything I have experience with, everything I've learned, everything I've tried, everything that's worked, everything that's failed, and I say now take it and do with it as you choose. Why? Because I believe that defines who you are and what you want and how you want it. Follow my own rules, folks. I, I, I really don't just make this stuff up. And with that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life. If times get tough, 
for you, even if they don't. It's in our food these days, you know it's on our TVs. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Yeah.